you have a very specific set of things you have to do every day. And that rules and governs a lot of your life, right? And then think of all the other components of your lifestyle, right? Especially if you have children, rules and governs. Like there's a lot of gravity there. We don't, as people, spend a lot of time in pause. Okay, today's episode of the Gravity Podcast is Phil Franks. The key and co-founder of Al and Key, Phil and his wife slash business partner, Krista, after nearly a decade of their own inner work and lifestyle design, created a company with a mission to help others design their most intentional and meaningful lives. Co-author of Strategic Planning for Life, the flagship system designed to cultivate awareness, craft a vision, design a plan, and execute on strategies that can reward anyone with extraordinary lifestyle freedom. With over 15 years of design experience and more than a decade growing a startup from five to 100 plus people before exiting that venture, Phil now strives to explore the greatest, quote, user experience opportunity of all, our lives. Phil is also an avid traveler, world explorer, and modern father with his two young sons. We are here with uh, my friend, Phil Franks. Good to have you. Thanks for having me, it's, brother. It's, uh, we're, we're back in the studio, which is nice to be in person with people. And Zoom's been, been the savior, but All it's right. awesome to see you in person and, and to have you take some time to do this. Likewise, man. I'm excited. Good. So let's, let's start at the beginning. Let's you know go. the format. So tell me a little bit about kind of early days, what, what your upbringing was like, where you're from, your family, any kind of important threads that we can start to tug on. Yeah, I think I, think I need to go all the way back to the beginning, beginning. Because I think it, in my own exploration of myself, I think it has a lot to do with who I am in, in a lot of ways. So at six weeks old, I was adopted, which was a, a big part of my story in a, in a fun way growing up. My parents were, you know, they struggled to have children. Uh, my mom had six miscarriages, I believe. And they were in their mid-20s and they were trying to start a family. And the stressors of that were starting to weigh because of the natural process was just not, not happening. And six weeks into my life, like... I found this family and they took me in and um, the experience of that six weeks, clearly I don't have any, I don't have any conscious memory of, but I think there's a lot of, of me that was, that, that started a lot of like my trajectory there Mm. in a lot of ways, like being kind of taken away from this very natural and evolutionary partner. You know, you come out of this person and you, you're then taken away from them. And then I bounced around to a couple of foster homes, um, foster families, like great families from what my mom says. And I found myself there and like that, that was the beginning. And uh, they were always so, so awesome about the communication of it. Uh, it, was never, it was never something that was hidden or that they shied away from. Uh, they really, really were open from the start as early as I could conceptualize the idea that Philip didn't come from mommy's belly mm-hmm. that Philip was, you know, given to us. And that was a really cool thing to mm-hmm. experience in my youth. And one of, the, one of the things that it really started for me was I think my confidence in myself and mm-hmm. like the, the beliefs that I started to form of myself. You know, I grew up in 
I said I grew up in Columbus, but my dad was um, interested in aviation. He was in the military. And then when he left the military, he went into aviation. And so those jobs are definitely a little bit more transient in nature. And we went from place to place all throughout my younger childhood, um, which is another, I think, big catalyst and direction setting piece for me uh, in my upbringing was the moving around and the the uprooting to go someplace new and then replanting roots and doing that four or five times and pretty pivotal points of my life. So we started our journey in Ohio. Um, and then when I was um, pre-kindergarten age, we uh, moved over to Germany of all places, uh, across the sea. My mom tells a story of how my dad was already over there. And uh, she took two kids in her mid-20s, you know, both under the age of two, uh, across the ocean. And the, the, the funny part about the cap the adoption thing for a second, uh, my mom... 11 months after she adopted me, got pregnant naturally with my mm. sister. Mm. So that was a really cool experience for her to, to have that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think probably a lot of that stress and the, the things that are tied up in you mentally when you, when you go through those traumatic experiences being released because a child had entered their lives. Mm-hmm. So we went to Germany, uh, my family of four at the time, mom, dad, myself, and my sister, Kira. And we lived there and we lived in this um, apartment first and then we moved into a quaint little house um, and I have vivid memories, I mean, which is very cool at three, um, which is really where I think a lot of us start to begin to have those conscious memories. That's where it started. I could draw that picture for you right now, like what that yard looked like, what that house looked like. Mm-hmm. And it was it was great. I mean, I think, you know, just that early, that early perspective on the world, right? Different language. And I went to an international school where I got to meet kids and be around kids that were all different ages and, and races and things like that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, as I was in class with people from Ireland and children from Japan and China and Russia and Germany and, you know, having that, that worldly experience so young was really cool and very eye-opening for me, I think, in a lot of ways that I didn't know at the time, clearly. But, you know, as I got older, it started to really um, make sense to me. Mm-hmm. So we lived there for a couple of years and that, that was pretty much the trend over the next, 10, 11 years of my life was we were any place for about two to four years um, before moving jobs and moving family. Um, So after uh, Germany, and we had been there for a while, uh, dad got another job back in the States and we came back to Springfield, Ohio. And he worked at Wright Patterson Air Force Base Mm -hmm. um, out there in Dayton. And we lived in Springfield and that was a, that was a home home. You know, it felt like a really cool place to, um, to start and to be and had a community of friends and family. And uh, my parents found a church that they became affiliated with and there was a whole community there. And we really began to like build a life. I remember feeling, even at the very young age, like it was, it was the beginning of, of building like the home. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of life friends still came from there. I'm in touch with a lot of, children that I was around in that age. And my mom, um, at that time of her life, was a stay-at-home mom, which was also very awesome for for myself and my sister. Um, We got her presence and her creativity. And that was always what she wanted to do growing up, was just be a mother and pour into her children and give us the world in terms of time and love and energy. And she ended up being that for other children in our community. We had 
friends of mine get off the bus. I remember troves of children getting off the bus at our house in Springfield after school, uh, first, second, third grade, mm -hmm. um, because all of their parents were, you know, in the nine to five gigs and my mom was at home and she became the, the caregiver, but it didn't feel like that because we were all friends, you know, all mm -hmm. of the same community um, going to the same school. And that was my life. I mean, that was my life for a few years. And uh, th this move, I, I really remembered, um, and it, it stuck with me for a long time. But I remember my parents said, "We're gonna, we're gonna be moving to Arizona," mm. and we uprooted from Springfield and moved to a small apartment in Arizona as we got our feet underneath us. You were how old at that point? Third grade. So what is that? Uh, eight, six, seven, eight, something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. So we were um, uprooted again and followed a job out to Arizona. Uh, with Learjet and dad was doing maintenance coordination for fleets of planes and things and interesting job and something he always loved to do. Um, and we always tended to kind of follow that. My mom being the kind of nucleus of the family held it together and we went and did those things. And that move was, was interesting because I think it was like, you could feel a lot of the, um, you could feel a lot of tension in the family for that one because there was, there was a home there in Springfield and we moved to Arizona. And it started a process, I think, that I saw then for years and years and years of our family dynamic where we were kind of following jobs and not drifting apart in a way, but that there was a, that there was kind of something that began kind of permeating under the surface of our kind of family dynamic. Mm -hmm. And we lived in Arizona and Arizona was a wonderful experience. Again, you talk about you talk about just perspective, right? Different landscape and geography and people and culture and food and everything, you know, everything about it was different than the East. The West was something very fun and still someplace that I enjoy going back to with my family. Um, Arizona being a place that we've recently gone. But that was also really a really big trajectory setting thing for my sports career. Uh, sports was a big part of my upbringing. Um, it was really my anchor, my mm -hmm. tether to any sort of direction that early in life? Before we, before we go down the um, impact of sports, because I, I find that to be a common thread that you know, a lot of men have in particular, a lot of people just in general um, have, and, um, and, and there's a lot to learn there. I'm curious just to kind of touch a little bit on this kind of first phase that you've described, both um, the adoption and the moving around. Mm -hmm. um, and, and oftentimes I find in, in my own life and in interviewing people for the podcast that it's, it's really a, a hindsight. Like, you know, you look back and you can kind of piece together these events and, and how they've shaped your life, which is a real important part of why we have kind of fallen into this format of the podcast, you know, that my belief is that all of these um, kind of pieces of the puzzle, you know, form this, you know, mosaic of our life that, that shapes our life, whether we're awake and conscious to it and, and in allowing it to serve us um, or it's kind of unconsciously just running our lives, right. you know, um, sometimes both can be true and sometimes one is more true than the other. But in your case, I'm, I'm curious, certainly I'm sure there's a lot of hindsight reflection and learning, but, but I kind of want to know to the degree that you, you can describe it, you know, what that was like for you as a kid. 
And, and, and maybe it's easier to start with the moving around piece and, and, you know, I I would also love to hear, you know, if, if not now, you know, as we move throughout the conversation, the, the impact um, or the felt experience of being adopted as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think from the, I'll touch on the moving around experience and put myself back in that place as a kid. Tough. Right, like I think, I think anytime you you are, and especially as you age, right? Like when you're younger, and I'm seeing it in my own children now, it's it's easier to replace something, right? Because everything is so new, and as you age, that becomes harder and harder. Maybe innately, maybe chosen. I don't know. I haven't explored that yet, but. Earlier, it was easier. And as we aged, it became harder and harder. And I mentioned the one in Springfield because that was a fairly formative age. I mean, seven, six, seven is pretty a pretty interesting time in life where you're exiting that phase of, I guess what I believe is like your core development as a, as a human being. And that was when I felt like the rip away. Almost I felt the, you know, my friends that I thought were going to, I was going to play baseball with and sports with and go to their houses you know, develop relationships with, they were all going to be thousands of miles away. And comfort, right? Like you have these these comforts that you build around yourself, you know, whether it's getting on the bus to go to school or the school you go to or the bike routes that you take, you know, those are all comforts. And then eventually you have to relearn all those things. Mm-hmm. And that relearning is tough, especially when you're not used to it. And I think the the flip of the the feeling of I, I don't like to say trauma, but I mean I think I think there is some form of that in there where there's like some trauma that you pull from those experiences of uprooting and changing things so many times. But the flip side of it is also there's a positive to it, right? Like I I tend to look at life half full a lot. Mm-hmm. And when I reflect on my childhood and think about that young boy it was tough for him in a lot of ways. And I, and I remember using a lot of comfort mechanisms when we moved. Mm. You know, my mom would always say, she would say, every time we would move, you would literally spend the first five hours of us being in any place, like in your room. Mm-hmm. And you would like, you would literally set up your room the exact same as it was at the last place we were. Mm-hmm. And in the moment, I didn't know what I was doing. But now in, in hindsight, I'm like, oh, I was creating comfort. Like I was creating comfort for myself being in this completely new environment. Mm-hmm. It, this box, this 12 by 12 or 14 by 14 box was now where I started to build my own confidence, where I started to build this comfort to come back out into the world and to make friends and go to a new school and learn that new bike route, you know, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So that 10-year-old boy, I think about a lot mm-hmm. in, in my life today, because again, I think a lot of, who we are in the now is is a derivative of that, and I think you you agree with that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just curious, uh, you know, the idea of you know being ripped apart or having to leave did, was that something that then you had any kind of um, ongoing skepticism, fear, boundaries, you know, defense mechanism guards up as you went from place to place or how has that maybe, um, you know, trailed you or how have you had to, you know, kind of work through that? I mean, I don't know if that's true, but I would imagine it's hard when you keep 
making friends, building relationships, and then they, you know, get, like you said, ripped apart to, you know, keep pouring yourself in, you know, over and over again. Yeah. Um, Great question. I, in the, in the younger years, uh, I don't think that I had a lot of conscious, conscious control of like any sort of direction, right? Like I was, I was more of a byproduct, right? Of the, of the, the choices my parents were making and the circumstances of our life. And as I think most kids are, right? Like you don't have a lot of say in that era. You are really, your, your constructs of life are such a, a culmination of everything that your parents are doing and your families are doing. And you're taking in all these things. And, you know, in some cases it's good, in some cases it's bad. And, and I think that's the, the beautiful mosaic, as you mentioned earlier, is it's this, this piece of art that comes together that creates your life. But as I got older, I started to see some of those trends. I started to see that in um, the way that I operated. So um, I've never, as I've been able to make my own decisions, you know, college being the gateway for that, right? Go to college, you're living on your own for the first time, um, going to class on your own schedule, doing things in your own way. I began to see some of those things be present in my, my personality. I've, I've been so loyal in anything that I've ever done. Right, I I like to do things for a long amount of time, and change used to be very hard for me to to do, even little things. Right, like in in I'll give a school example. In a school example, I remember my mom and my teacher had to collaborate to get me to buy lunch from the school line because I was so afraid of that different situation as a young kid. And then as you get older, you, you think about the equations to that. It's like changing jobs or relationships or anything like that, moving houses. Um, those things became um, points of friction in my experience because they were, you know, hearkening back to my childhood where change was like mm-hmm. happening um, and out of my control. And then as you get older, you get to, con- you, I'll, I'll air quotes it here. You get, mm-hmm. to, you get to control a little bit more in terms of, the choice that you're making to change or how you then respond to that more consciously than you were doing when you were younger. Mm-hmm. I think it, another big thing for me, just to touch on the thing of like what came out of that experience, kid, um, security in a lot of ways is like my baseline layer. You know, if I, if I use the word trigger with you, you'll get it, you'll understand. Mm-hmm. But um, in, my, in my life, if there's, a, if there's a trigger and it touches that security layer, mm-hmm. it puts me in a state of, of spiral mm-hmm. almost where I have to really use my practices that I've, you know, brought into my life over the last five to seven years mm-hmm. um, and use those in those moments where I can start to feel myself going into that spiral. Mm-hmm. Um, financial security. I mean, we were, we were not, we were not um, well off by any means, but we were not in poverty. We were right in the middle, but my parents were paycheck to paycheck. I mean, mm-hmm. we were, you know, there were times where my grandmother had to like buy our, my basketball shoes for the sport that I was playing because my parents didn't have the money from the paycheck that was coming in mm-hmm. um, that week. So financial security, I saw that growing up. And then I saw like what those moves and chasing those jobs did for us. And it built up a big financial security piece in me that is a trigger. And I even, my partner in life and crime now, uh, Krista, even early in our relationship, like I kept big gates up to her, even getting close to my security when it came to what I had built for myself and what I was doing, um, which we've since worked through um, <laughs> together. 
but yeah, I mean, certainly it gave me a lot of trigger points around sure. the idea of security. Mm-hmm. Um, less with people. I think people was always kind of a thing that was very natural. And I think maybe a positive byproduct of that. Mm-hmm. Um, meeting new people and being okay with and being the new kid and uh, putting myself out there and being confident. And it goes back to that, that confidence layer that, that was definitely instilled by those experiences. And my mother uh, was a big reinstallment of that. So yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about the adoption piece too before we move forward, because yeah. there's a lot there, and I'm I'm kind of like curious, and we'll get to this about how you've managed to become aware of these things as an adult, and how you've managed to move through them in a very positive way. I know you do a lot to work on yourself and to you know kind of live the the life that you've designed for yourself, you know, so, so what you've said, you know, makes a lot of sense knowing you and kind of how you approach life, which we'll talk about, but I want to um, not lose sight of the adoption piece. And just to kind of poke at that a little bit, you know, you described what I um, imagined to be kind of like a, an ideal outcome for somebody who was in foster homes and, landed, you know, with loving adoptive parents uh, and seeing that in a very positive light is, uh, is, is amazing, right? That's not the experience that a lot of people have. And so I, I'm curious to kind of hear a little bit more about what else is there, you know, the, things that I've heard, you know, people typically struggle with the curiosity of knowing who the birth parents are or the feeling that there was some sense of not being wanted or, um, you know, having a, a, a sister that, you know, is a, a biological child of your mom and dad, you know, if that was challenging for you. And and again, I mean, knowing you a little bit, I'm, I'm sure you've kind of done the math on this and, and chosen the path, which is, you know, gratitude and, and service, how that's all worked perfectly to, um, you know, shape you to who you are. But, but I don't know if that was always how you looked at it. Right. I mean, certainly there are other options to you know, kind of explore. And I wonder, you know, what your journey with that process was throughout. Yeah. Thank you for that one. It was, it, it was always so positive for me because it was, it was, it was presented that way to me, you know, and I, I do, I, I do tend to take the gratitude approach because I, I call it a butterfly effect in my life all the time where I go back and you think about the alternative, you know, routes or directions that could have happened, right? It, the, the serendipitous or universal timing of my mom applying and me being born and this, you know, this child that, you know, was available to, you know, be taken in by this family. That, that kind of chemistry is unexplainable, right? And that's, that's fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of how I live today and how I think today is derived from that experience, even though I wasn't conscious in that experience, right? It's knowing that I went through that experience as a, as a form being and knowing what else could have happened. You know, I, and, and frankly, the, my mom being as, and my dad being as, as open as they have been around who these people were, I became very comfortable with it, mm. right? My my mom gave me the demographics and who she was, and showed me notes from the 
from the agent that they were using in the adoption. And I've kind of formulated this visual picture of who this person was. And I mean, she was this 19-year-old girl um, who wasn't ready to be a mother and who was, you know, addicted to certain things. And she was smoking a pack a day and doing all these things from the notes that I read that my mm-hmm. mom uh, gave me a chance to look at as I got older. And there was curiosity there to the extent where I would ask my mom questions and she would be very forthcoming with them. And they were always forthcoming for other things, especially as I aged and uh, became a giant compared to my family. Mm-hmm. The uh, the curiosity to find out or or to go pursue, I think was never really a burn for me because it was so... Uh, normalized and it was so given to me visually by my mom and my dad that you know here's what here's what you if you want to know this here it is mm-hmm. you know here's where you were born here's what time here's the the notes here's who she was and all those things were were very open and so i think when i hear stories of that like going on the discovery to find you know those genes um i think a lot of the times and i, I may be saying a blanket statement here but a lot of the times it's because it's not talked about, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's behind closed doors or something that's too tough to approach. And, um, and the tragic stories where it's not till they're, you know, 18 or 20, where they find out that they're actually adopted and their whole life kind of shatters. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't imagine that, that mental challenge that that is when you realize that it's been untrue for so long. So my parents took a very progressive route and a very open route to finding um, the way to communicate with me, even at that age. Other things that that revolve around adoption. Um, Let me just ask you a quick question about yeah. that. Have you ever talked to your parents about why they chose to take that approach? Um, no? no. Yeah, I mean, because you know, I, I would be curious to hear just what they were thinking. It's kind of, uh, I think, unconventional. You know, again, I'm just you yeah. know, based on you know little bit that I know. You know, to really lead with uh, transparency and to hear how that had made such a impact in your experience, you know, I mean, good on them, but like, I wonder what they were thinking, if that's just who they were, if it was just kind of, you know, their way, you know, but um, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to hear, you know, kind of more about what their thinking was, but um yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, and I think that's a that's a great point. I think um, um, as I think about the the connectivity to where I am now, right? As I and the, what was what was brought of that that gratitude and the empathy that I have for my parents now in this stage of my life. I mean, mid thirties, I'm a parent of two young children, and bringing children into the world was actually a very emotional experience for me because I had never seen people that were genetically related to me you know, until I was 32 years old. Mm -hmm. And so my wife, she, the genes run so thick in her family. You go to their house and it's like, wow, there's the nose, there's the eyes, Mm -hmm. there's the skin tone. And even the mannerisms, right? The the mannerisms of how they act and how they are and um, who got what from mom and dad. I, as when I was growing up, it wasn't until I was older that I began to see who I was versus who they were and really started to question nature and nurture. Mm. And that idea of just base who you are, you know, and de- depending upon your philosophies, your spiritual practice, or your faith practice, whatever it might be, your soul, and like what exists at that layer, and then what is given to you via experience and nature, or nurture, I'm sorry. I got to see that in like real time, mm-hmm. you know, from a very open view because it was so 
open to me and that transparency was given to me from my parents. You know, I remember even little things like I, I am fairly neat and tidy. I ended up going into design and user experience, which is very kind of meticulous and um, in that in its own right. And my parents are a little bit more, you know, okay with mess and things like that. And mm. such a small example, but I think it's important because I always felt dissonance with it when I was in the home growing up. Mm. You know, I would be the one that was tidying up mm-hmm. and things like that. And I was like, why am I like, why am I so drawn to doing this? Like, mm. it, this isn't the environment mm-hmm. I live in. And, and so your your belief is that that piece is a little bit more nature, like it's it's in mm-hmm. your DNA to be that way. Yeah. Um, not that that was a result of the moving or your need for security or control or anything like that, that, that it was actually really kind of how you were wired, yeah. you know, which is probably a genetic thing. That's interesting. You know, you definitely have the experience to speak to both nature and nurture, right? I mean, you now are a father. I've seen pictures of your kids. There's some DNA on your side there, right? <laughs> yeah. It's it's not all Krista. Um, uh, so your DNA comes through now in another generation and you can see, you know, they're little, but I'm sure you can already see how, you know, the nature part um, is true, yeah. right? But you were also, you know, a tremendous beneficiary of nurture in, yeah. in you know, your adopted parents. Yeah, totally. And I think that, it's it's a very cool stage in life because you you can see this broad landscape, you know, and and by landscape I mean I have this I use this this analogy with my mom the other day. It's like when you're a child, it, it takes you so long to catch up to understand well one who you are, but two who your parents were, like even before they were parents, and then what they experienced when they were in their youth, like trying to raise a family. And it's really not until marriage and then children where you begin to have that peerage with your with your parents where a child can have empathy for what mom and dad experienced. Mm-hmm. And now I'm in that middle zone where I can kind of see both ends and, and say, wow, like you guys went through this. Like, mom, you got on a plane with two kids under two, went overseas for a 24-hour you know, day without screens. Like, what did you do? Yeah. You know, and all that empathy exists from it. Um, yeah, oh, it's very true. I mean, I, I can tell you, it continues to be more and more true. You know, we were talking before we got on the air that I just dropped two kids in college. And um, I know when I talk to my mom, uh, that she knows exactly what that was like. And yeah. so there's an appreciation for like, hey, you're my blood, you're my family in your case, right? This, these are your parents, right? the same for both of us. This is our parent. We have had this shared life experience uh, and and now I'm having it, right? Like you did. Totally. And so you just automatically connect, connect, you know, on a level that was hard when the roles were different. You know, you were asking me before what it's like to, you know, have kids that are are my age. And, you know, I was sharing with you just the joy of having more of an adult relationship and, you know, I think that's what you're describing, you know, that you now have with your parents right. as, as a parent yourself. Okay. So let's back up a little bit. Yeah. Take me there. Um, you were, you were starting to elaborate on sports, kind of the impact. And I'm curious to kind of learn more about what you were like as you started to become teenager and into your yeah. early adult years. Totally. Um, yeah. So Arizona was, was really the big 
I call it the, a big catalyst for that in my life. You know, I had played little league baseball and soccer and did the dabbling that most children do in their in their younger age, but sports in Arizona became a little bit more. It was a sure thing, right? It became a little bit more elite. I was starting to really gravitate towards um, baseball, and that was a, a thing that I did. And because of the climate and everything, you can play sports year round, right? So it was all the time I was playing sports and. Um, I fell into sports um, early, playing all of them, like I said, but it wasn't until that move where baseball became a really big trajectory thing for me. It was something I was good at. I really enjoyed playing. It was, it was, I used the word tether earlier, where it was a tether to just direction. And I think about that now too, especially with what we do, which I'm sure we'll touch on later on. Like what that what that sh- showed me, it, it was showing me like there's a way to go, right? And I can I can go this way, and if I work hard and I enjoy it, and my mom and dad were always very good about saying you do things that you enjoy, you don't do things because you got to do them. You do things that you enjoy, and if you don't enjoy it anymore, okay, move on. Like be okay with moving on with that. And that was one of the I think one of the wisest things that they've ever imparted on me. Um, I'm sure there's many others that I want to give them more credit than that. Um, but that really has stuck with me into my older years where I'm not doing things if I don't enjoy them. And baseball always kind of had a place inside of me that was very innate. It was like, you're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And I played baseball for many, many years. Even after our next move, we came back to uh, Columbus, Ohio. And whenever anybody asks me like where you're from, I say Columbus because that was about middle school age, mm-hmm. um, formative teenage years and uh, lived in Hilliard, a small suburb of Columbus. Uh, grew up and played sports there. I ended up bringing basketball into my uh, my repertoire of sports too. And those two sports really kind of gave me my community. And it gave me, again, direction and a, and a hobby, right? I would always be outside playing sports and um, my friends would gather at our house and we'd play sports together. And it was, it was it, now that you give me a chance to think about it um, out loud, um, it was my plan in a lot of ways. Right. Like, and it was, it was childlike in a way. Right. Cause every kid that plays sports is like, I'm going to play professional X, baseball, basketball, football, whatever they're, whatever they're playing. Um, but that really became my plan. Right. I was, I was going to go to college and play sports. I was going to do art because I always enjoyed art. I was the doodler growing up. I would, my room, if you can picture it, was every wall was laced with like the notebook paper and some character drawing. Um, on it or some typog- typography drawing on it. And that was just from a very early age. I was always a creator. My mom would say you'd always play with Legos for hours just making stuff. And I see this in my sons now, which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. But sports was the other side of that. And for me at the time, it was like the vehicle, right? It was the vehicle to go forward and do these things. And um, all throughout my teenage years, I was playing sports. I was, uh, I was very involved. Um, and that kept me, I think, on track in a lot of ways um, to go to the next steps in life. And I, I, came from a, I came from that era of thinking where it was like there were steps, right? It was, it was more of a linear, a linear path. Like life was very linear. You grow up, you go to school, mm-hmm. you go to college, you mm-hmm. get a job, you do this and do that. And sports was my way to define that for myself. Um, and I ended up going to college to play uh, college baseball. But this, I do want to share a story about sports, which I think really became a, uh, a moment for me where I realized how I, how I operate. And 
really those universal connections that you just can't explain. And the idea that I have no control, but I'm, a, I'm an elegant dance with the universe, right? And I'm, I want to be conscious of my steps when the universe dances with me. Um, in high school, I was undecided. I was a, I was a all-state baseball player, loved playing the game, and I didn't have a college that I was going to go to. And I, did, I wasn't feeling drawn to go anywhere. And late in my senior season, I ended up hitting a home run in a random game on some day of the week. And the opposing team's coach happened to go to a university um, where he still had a, a reputation and a, and a um, connection with the head coach. And come to find out how I get connected to where I ended up going to college, which then sets a huge trajectory for my whole life. He calls, he goes home that evening after a high school game. And now do the math in your head on this, <laughs> right? This high school coach is getting paid a couple thousand dollars for a season. He's got a family at home, other things, priorities. For some reason, he goes home and spends his precious time and energy calling his college coach, which he hadn't played for for so many years, mm -hmm. to tell them about a kid on the opposing team that he should look at. Mm. And the coach calls our, my future college coach and my college coach says, thanks for the tip. And he ends up coming to watch and invites me out to uh, come to the university. And right when I meet him and the, the facilities and, and I step on campus, I have a very intuitive moment where I look at the, the main hall and I was like, yeah, like I can, mm -hmm. see, I can feel myself going here. Mm. And it wasn't, it wasn't logical. It wasn't of mind. Yeah. It wasn't planned out. Sure. It was very, yeah, this feels good. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I, I think that sports oftentimes deservedly get a bad rap. I think, you know, you um, see a lot of toxic masculinity. I know in my Absolutely. own life, um, as a kid, sports were an incredibly important thing to my father, um, really in an unhealthy way. Uh, and the intentions were great. Like, right. you know, that's just what that generation thought mm -hmm. you needed to excel at to be validated, right? And, and that even stretched in his case to like, defining his success as a father was, you know, how good, how good I was were, right? on, on the field. And, and so there's a good reason why I think a lot of that gets a bad rap. Um, on the other hand, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity to learn and grow and have life lessons that, you know, you really can need to learn regardless of what it is that, you know, the vehicle, uh, you know, you choose and sports is just one of those, you know, vehicles. And, you know, I, I've, I've seen the translation of life skills through sports, uh, for many adults. It's, it's maybe, you know, kind of similar to, um, being in the military right. or something, right? Like, you know, you can use all of these learnings, teamwork and hard work and drive and passion and what it means to have somebody do something for somebody else, right. like, you know, that opposing coach did. Um, and, and you know, I, it's an interesting thing how you described it to be kind of not planned out and, you know, kind of an intuitive feeling. Yeah, I'm curious, you know, I, I think you have a very spiritual worldview, you know, from, from what I know of you and, um, you know, have done a lot of work, you know, on the spiritual side. 
And, and, you know, I know in my own life, I had intuitive feelings. Sometimes I listened to them. Most of the time I did not when I was younger. And, and it was because I really didn't have the courage or didn't have that kind of spiritual view. Even now as an adult with that view, sometimes it's difficult to trust the universe, to trust you know God, whatever it is that you call it, your intuition even. Uh, so, so I'm wondering, you know, what that was like for you at that stage, you know, likely knowing that you had not done all the work you've done today to continue to trust in that kind of intuitive experience as you kind of moved, you know, into that next phase and into, um, even the, you know, kind of immediate phases afterwards. Yeah. And this is, this is where I spend a lot of my time now when I think of like just thinking and conversations because it's, it's fascinating. You know, I think what you said a second ago about your experience as a child, I think everybody can empathize with that where you have these feelings, you don't know what they are, but they're very visceral in a way, whether it's physical or mental or you know, emotional, like something's going to happen and you're not, you're not connected with them yet because of some opposing force, right? Whether it's, you know, not, you know, maybe you didn't feel like playing sports. I don't know your story all the way that far back, but maybe you didn't feel like playing sports, but the opposing pressure of your father to continue playing sports was a force that you had to reckon with. And I think that's true for everybody, right? Like everybody has these points of friction from intuition, from what's being told to them. And I, I, I don't want to give myself too much credit because I think, again, I came from a very, in all, by, all, by all accounts, stable and loving home environment. And my mother and my father are both super supportive in a way that let me believe in myself in a way to make these decisions. What I question about myself a lot when I was that age is why was I okay with it? You know, like, why was I okay with the unknown then? And I struggle with it more now, which is where, you know, my practices and stuff mm -hmm. really help me come back to that state. And I try to get back to that state. But again, those opposing forces and the, the deeper you go into your own layers, you're uncovering other things that you haven't reckoned with yet. And, but at that stage in life, I was so okay with the unknown and I was innately trusting at that stage of my life. And I think about, again, that boy a lot, that teenage boy was like, well, you know, like, and I'll go to school. I know I'm going to go to school mm -hmm. and I know I'm going to play baseball because I'm good enough to do that, but I'm not stressed about it. I don't, I never went home and like vigorously, like got on the, the dial up internet at the time to mm -hmm. like research universities or get, go in the phone book and look for universities to call athletic directors. Like I wasn't doing that. I wasn't stressed about it. And that state was my best state. Mm-hmm was my best state. Yeah. Because I allowed that chemistry and that serendipity to happen. And now I'm more, I'm more able to see it and, and be with it than I was before. Mm -hmm. Whereas before I was very much, I was reacting to everything. Mm -hmm. Now I can be conscious in it when it's happening and even, even unlock a way to, to find that, right? To put myself in a place where I can begin to, to really listen to that intuition more. Mm -hmm. But as a kid, um, that happened multiple times. So 18, 19 years old, I step on this university, have this very intuitive, this intuitive ping, decide to make the decision to go there and play all four years, which is 
again, in, in college sports, like not always seen. I mean, we had we had probably over 200 kids in, in my four-year span come through the program uh, from new freshmen and coming and trying out and being awarded scholarships to people that were just coming in transfers. And, and so I saw a lot of faces and met a lot of people. Um, and me and one other uh, teammate, a guy that I'm still very close with, today were the only two from our class that went all the way through. And that I think goes back to that security and loyalty thing from my childhood where I was like feeling it. So I was going to continue that because it felt really good. But the next intuitive ping, which was where the vehicle of sports begins to drop off in my career. So I, I look at sports. Sports was a very, very uh, amazing... I, I've, I used, I've used train. Like I was on the train. And it took me to the station that was college because that was the next part where I needed to, to be with my intuition and listen to where I needed to go. My senior year... Again, very cyclical in terms of how I did it from high school and then again in college. Um, I was finishing up my thesis in, in art, my art degree. I was very undecided about what I wanted to do. I was kind of dumbfounded by the uh, lack of response and the broadness of the industry that I was unfamiliar with at the time because I was so consumed by sports. I didn't understand like or, or even think about where I wanted to go until... February of March of my senior year. And I'm, I'm like, graduation is impending. And I have this like prairie of the open career world in front of me. Like, what, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? And again, this, these moments just kept happening to me where um, I had a friend of mine who I was partnered with on my freshman orientation. We sat next to each other and he was a, an athlete and we had athletes orientation. And he and I became friends and acquaintances early in our career. And then it ended up being friends longer into our career. But we had stayed in touch and we're, we had uh, been in contact throughout our, our college experience. And he you know, sends me a, a message and he says, hey, I've got a couple of buddies that are building a business and uh, I'm doing some sales for them just to like kickstart my career and they're giving me commission, but they're looking for an artist. Um, and I'd love, I'd love if, you, if you met them because they, they sounded really interested. And I was like, yeah. It sounds great. So I, I got my portfolio together and I didn't have one together at the time, put it all on a CD and CDs and gave it to him um, and went and met these guys and sat down in this small office on Beth, off Bethel and Sawmill um, with these two 21-year-old guys who are my age um, who had just come back from uh, post-grad to really dive into this business and I sat in this room with four other individuals, all young men, each with their own disciplines and their own archetypes. And I was like, this feels good. Like, I don't, I don't know why. Because on paper, I was very ill-equipped for what they needed. So I have a degree in traditional graphic design, um, which from the university I went to, a small liberal arts school here in Columbus, Ohio Dominican, um, I was taught the basics and I was taught the traditional way of doing it, right? You're going to go to an agency, you're going to go to a company, you're going to go internal, you're going to do these things. These guys were building a startup and they were doing it in a very young thing in the web. Mm -hmm. I had not taken one web course. I had not been told how to design for the web, how to do anything for the web. And I stepped into this environment and immediately I was hit with all the stuff that I didn't know. And it was scary because as, as an athlete and a performer and someone that likes to excel, like I felt like I was low again. Like, oh man, like sure. I, I'm not going to be able to do this. But there was something intuitively that was like, you need to be here. Mm -hmm. Like this is where you need to be. And 
I am guessing, you know, maybe this is, you know, me armchair quarterbacking this or psychoanalyzing this, but, you know, you having that um, familiarity with being uncomfortable and being in something new that right. moving around and being for right. You know, you're, you're well equipped to go forward anyway, when, you know, that kind of maybe what otherwise would be super intimidating new experience shows up, you know, maybe this is right. where, you know, your, your childhood really serves you well. Yeah. Yeah. That's that positive side. I think that, that, that diversity of experiences and having to rebuild every time I think made me okay with that. And it made me okay. And so I think sports gives you a lot of that too. In these, you know, unpredictable situations, what do you do in a split second, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I said, yes. And I just leaned into it. And, and this is the theme that I think is, is very resonant in my own life. And something that I like to talk to a lot of people now too, is that sometimes this intuition is not going to, it's not going to ever show you the how, right? That's the dance. The dance is, you saying yes and you making the decision to go into this thing that likely feels uncomfortable. And you have to feel yourself in that situation. Like you have to feel everything about you in that experience and say, whoa, like this is working or it's not working. Mm-hmm. And either is okay, but the, the answer is not external. The answer is internal. Mm-hmm. And when I said yes to this and I felt that discomfort, the discomfort didn't outweigh the intuition. And after some years, I early in that career it was five guys. We had started building a very young internet company, web digital agency. Um, and this was before YouTube was out, streaming video, like all these things that are very normal now. Um, we built a, a humming digital agency that over the course of 11 or 12 years and my tenure there, I helped build and grew. And that was an amazing experience. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see it there. And on paper, that if you look at that on paper, the first couple of years of my life, uh, in my career, it wasn't the shining star, right? Like, I think there's this misconception now for for young adults when they come out of school, they want to, you know, make that, you know, $80,000 a year, $100,000 a year. And some can warn it, right? If you go into the right fields, I was making hundreds of dollars every two weeks, Mm -hmm. right? With a couple of guys that didn't know anything about running a business. Right. And we were all there together just, you know, culminating this energy and working on this thing together and feeling really good about it. And I was okay with it. And that that goes back to that unknown where it was like on paper, I didn't, I didn't know where this was going, but I stuck around because I was so okay with that intuition and the open-endedness of life. Mm. Great. Let, let's uh let's jump forward. Yeah. Um, because I know that that served as a as a jumping off point for you. And, you know, in the interest of time, I want to make sure we get to today, where you are, what you're up to. Um, and then we can kind of connect the dots on a little bit of your journey to that um, point where you are today. I, I have a lot of curiosity about kind of your learning and the modalities and kind of how you have, you know, landed where you have. But let's start by talking about what you're up to today. Yeah. So, um, do you want the backstory of how that is, or do you want me to just go right into it? For, first, first, explain what you're doing, okay. and then we can, you know, do the backstory. Connect the dots. Yeah. Okay. Um, so right now, um, my wife and I own a company that we started formally years ago. That's called Allen Key, and Allen Key we've called it as a lifestyle design company. And what we mean by that is almost everything that I just said to you about my own life 
It's connecting you with yourself via a very tactical and practical process that allows you to deepen your knowing of yourself to then be aware of what's happening in form, right? And it, the company is, is now serving hundreds of people in both the individual and personal realm, couples and businesses. We work with teams and organizations to go through a flag, flagship framework that we've created called Strategic Planning for Life. And it was, it's really a combination of those two. It's a two-piece thing that's an awareness tool and an application tool or integration tool, awareness and integration. And it, it's not a how-to. Like it's not this company and this framework and this course that we offer people and, and teams is not going to tell you how to do something. It's a space provider. It's going to give you the space to come into it and find that flow of yourself and find those things that you maybe have ignored or that have been pushed down by those external pressures to come out and then say, how do I then apply that? Like, mm-hmm. how do I apply this now knowing to come out into the world and make that true for my lifestyle? Mm-hmm. And I've called it for me, and Krista would call it something different, but in, in the relation to my own experience, I call it the ultimate user experience project. You know, mm-hmm. like it, it's, it's your life, it's your lifestyle, mm-hmm. right? And we as people, I think, are so conditioned to fall into a track or to go a certain way. And a lot of the times based on your childhood story, your experience growing up, like where do you fall? What do you do? Mm-hmm. How long do you stay there? Mm-hmm. And our belief and Alan Key's belief is that you can be conscious of that, of who you were and what you were and unravel and then begin to design your life in a way that is more in line with who you truly are and who you're becoming, right? I don't think that there's ever a, an end in becoming, right? And not in the sense of like a job or a title or anything like that, but you are literally becoming a new person every single day through every single experience. Mm-hmm. And that's just a core belief that we have as an organization. And to give you a tool that now you could use, this framework is a, is a repeatable tool. You do it every single year. That's the cadence that we recommend. And you're doing this process every single year by yourself with your partner in life and crime or with your your teams, your businesses, and your mm-hmm. people. And you're really assessing yourself in reflection and then applying that wisdom to your future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so it's great. And I'd love to hear kind of the backstory on how you got into that. Because one of the things that I think uh, a lot of coaches struggle with is their credentials and qualifications. And, you know, we live in a society that is largely focused on credentials, right? Where did you go to college? Are you a doctor? Are you a therapist? Are you um, a social worker? What makes you qualified, credentialed to do this work? And I think to some degree, you know, society has got an overemphasis on that. On the other hand, I think that if you're going to coach people, if you're going to train people on something as important as life, right? If you're going to start talking about parenting, relationships, careers, there is some necessary experience that I think is required. Now, um, I'm not 100% sure about that because I think sometimes it's about of being a mirror and there's a more woo-woo worldview that, you know, nothing's wrong and everybody's, you know, coming into our lives as teachers. And, you know, I, I say that with, 
you know, I, I actually believe that I do. And I think there's kind of like these two timelines, right? We've talked a little bit about this, right? There is the, the, the divine timeline. And then there's like the um, one that we function in every day and both are true. And the one we function in every day has some um, workability in it. And in some cases, right, there's things that we can intuitively choose aren't workable for us, right? right. And, and honor that, right? Anyway, I'm, I'm getting on a little bit of a tangent, but I think, you know, it's important for the audience to hear your path to this, that if you believe, I mean, I'm not, I don't know what you believe, but that, you know, you're qualified based on your path, or if it's more of like, we're mirrors, we just ask questions, we're facilitating holding space, and, and really, you don't need a credential or a qualification or life experience to do that. You know, so, so you know, maybe elaborate on both your path to this and then also your feeling on you know, kind of how you show up for people and, and are successful in what you do. Yeah, totally. And I, and I love the point that you talked about a second ago with the credential world that we live in. I think, and I don't want to go on too big of a tangent here, but I do think that that construct is shifting. I think there's a large construct shifting in society and culture right now where we're seeing it across the board in entertainment and sports and culture, like fashion, like all these, I mean, shoot, like digital applications, like anybody that's built any meaningful product, like didn't get a college degree, Mm -hmm. right? Like you to go to the backstories of like these applications that are being used by, you know, hundred a million or billion dollar companies, like they're built by people that don't have credentials, mm-hmm. right? And so I think this unraveling is happening in mm-hmm. society and culture around like, what is the applicability of that? On the other side, I do agree that there are certain things that you just don't touch without like the proper training. Right? Sure. Like, there are cliffs that you hit and you're like, ah, like I, this is out of my universe. And like, this needs a special type of approach or coach or person to do that. So I'm completely on board with that. I think I tend to, for what we do and how we've constructed what we do, I err on the side of life experiences as the tool for the guide. And I don't, I don't even use the word coach and either does Krista. We call it, we say guide. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, we liken it to mountains where you go to a mountain and you see this peak and you say, I want to climb it. But you would use a guide to tell you, especially if you use something as you know treacherous and gnarly as Everest, right? You you would use a guide. Like they know where the base camps are, they know the routes, they know where it's less dangerous, they know they know the gear you need and all these things. So you would employ somebody to give you that space to become a climber, to become to become the person that can summit this thing. And that's what I think life experience gives you. But the framework is designed in a way that it's not prescriptive. Like I said, like we're we're not in I've never prescribed anything in either as Krista around what someone should do. It is a deep introspection, introspective experiment. It's like, how many times are we taught or given the space to ask ourselves very deep questions that allow us to go into our own layers? Mm-hmm. Very few times mm-hmm. every single day. I mean, if you go into a nine to five or a career, like you have, unless you're you know at the top and you have the ability to think a little bit more openly, you have a very specific set of things you have to do every day and that rules and governs a lot of your life, right? Mm-hmm. And then think of all the other components of your lifestyle, right? Especially if you have children, rules and governs. Like there's a lot of gravity there. We don't, as people, spend a lot of time in pause or in, or in stillness or in even, even the active effort of going into exploring myself, right? That's not something that we're taught. 
And it's starting to become new. I mean, you see some of these newer higher education systems that are doing, like Stanford has one that's like a life design class that actually designers teach. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think is interesting about what we do is it's very, very synonymous to a design project, right? You're giving someone this framework that you've crafted that really gives them space to just go into it. So that's my philosophy um, on, on, on just credentials and what mm -hmm. you need and what you need. But I, I do want to share a little bit about how we got here because I certainly can't take all the credit for it. In fact, I don't take all the credit for it. I think a, a big catalyst that was, is my wife and mm -hmm. she is our, our deep introspective thinker. And she's the, she's so much closer to life than I am. And she's been my guide in life in a lot of ways. And um, to touch on a little bit, we met at Dynamit, which was the eventual um, digital agency here in Columbus that we uh, both worked out together. Um, she left um, about three years before I did. I eventually became a partner and you know led multiple groups there and helped grow the business and things like that. And Krista left to go on her own sabbatical because she she had that intuitive ping. There was a moment, I remember this day, I'll never forget it. She had a very, very emotional day one day. And it was after a conversation she had with our founder and he gave her an answer about why we're doing this. And it didn't align with her at all. And it really kind of unplugged something inside of her. It unplugged her state in that space or in the space in general. And she wanted to go think about it. And because of where we were and the lifestyle that we had, um, fortunately, she was able to go and do that. And she sabbaticaled for three months, six months, and really became like very, very conscious of her experience and started her own unraveling of herself and all the programming that she was up until that point. And while she was doing this, she was obviously like being entrepreneurial and she was on her own and a solopreneur and um, at an early age where she was getting hit with a lot of those walls where, who are you? What have you been through? You're 27. Like, what, what, what are you going to tell me and teach me at 27? And she was creating these things from her own research and her own readings and experiences and started coaching small teams and, and executives on how to connect with the younger individuals and the millennial market that was coming into the workforce at the time. And she was really the thread between those two and allowing allowing a generation to connect with another generation through this, through this tool that has eventually become what it is today, the awareness tool. She started to show me what was possible. You know, like I, her going through that and changing her, her own constructs and her own beliefs, I really started to look at her and kind of tilt my head and say, whoa, you know, I, I'm seeing what you're doing and I'm seeing you really question all these things, which based on what I told you about 30 minutes ago, was different for me. You know, like I was a security monster. Like I wanted everything to be kind of packaged with a bow on it. And she was like, nope, I'm going to take that apart. Mm -hmm. And that became really intriguing to me. Mm -hmm. And not to go too into, deep into how we met, but it was, she was my third intuitive ping. Mm -hmm. And she was, uh, we were both involved in long-term relationships. Uh, mine was 10 plus years. I was with a, a girl, a high school sweetheart and owned a home in German village and things like that. And she came into my, into my life and there was just a very, very universal physical connection with, with us. Like, mm -hmm. And physical in a way of like not us being physical, but in a way where I felt her energy. Mm. Like, and I felt her presence and it was a shock to my system. And I was like, this is another, well, what's going on here? Yeah. Um, and I had to unravel from it. And I had to, when we went through that and 
she and I um, eventually, you know, made our way into uh, being partners and I um, had my own reckoning. I was um, at the height of the career. We were growing the business. We were on the, uh, on the way to merging an acquisition. And I went to Dallas to work on a large hospitality client. And I had built two native apps for them and their business. And my team and I had spent six, seven weeks doing it. And I remember flying down there and all was well. And we're sitting in a large conference room, giant oval table, looking out over a landscape with some fountains like you would at a large corporation like that. <laughs> and I remember I was presenting and I had what I call a Zach Morris moment. And it was where like time froze. Mm-hmm. And it was, it, was, it was very different than I've ever experienced before. And, and what I was doing was I was, able to, I was able to see people in a way in that experience where I saw these mothers and these fathers who had dedicated their careers to this, to this, to this brand and this business. Um, and they were there and potentially enjoying it, potentially not missing out on a child's experience or a sporting event, whatever it might be. And I think what was happening is I was using them as a reflection for me. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at them and saying, do, do you want this? Mm-hmm. Is this what you want? Like, yeah. do you want to be this agency guy that's doing this for 25 years and missing these events and being on call for large brands all over the globe? Like, mm-hmm. no. Yeah. And I went home and I flew home and my brain was spinning. And clearly from who I was then at the time averse to change, it was a curveball. Yeah. And I went home and told Krista, I said, I think I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, she said, okay. And she, and I think because of who she is and where she, um, where she had been over the last few years, um, she gave me the space to think about that and became, helped me guide guide through it. Like, how do you get through that? Like, and, and again, on paper, you start to look at these situations and intuitively it's right, but on paper, it's wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think that that friction hits everybody. Yeah. And you put that on paper and it just didn't make sense. Like, why would you, why would you do this? Yeah. Uh, it's a great story. And thank you for giving all that background. And, um, you know, as we start to kind of wrap up, you know, I'll just um, tell you that, you know, in, in hearing the backstory, um, and then I asked you the question, you know, really about kind of credentials versus qualifications, um, because I think it's something that there's a lot of debate or skepticism, you know, in totally. general in this field. Totally. You know, and, and, and I'm a big believer that, you know, qualifications, that, that experience is, and even just kind of intuitive instincts or DNA, you know, wiring is, is way more powerful in this field than credentials, right? Like if you're, if you're going to be, if you need surgery, right? Like I I care about kind of the quality of my, the credentials of my surgeon, (laughs) right? Um, But um, when it comes to life and, and, guiding, coaching, you know, I think it's really more about the individual and their passion and their, and their intuition and their purpose. And the experience does matter, right? Um, but what you've described is having all of that, right? You, you have a life experience that includes, you know, your childhood and those moments years of moving around that built you your your sports your commitment to you know teamwork to drive to trusting your intuition those pings right all of that 
including, you know, finding Krista and, and learning from her and ultimately making the jump that you made is exactly what qualifies you to do the work that you're doing because you've done it. And, and then, you know, it's not something that you're ever done with. You continue to do it. And I know that about both of you, that you have a high value on growth and continuing to work on yourselves and your relationships and to learn and become better as your um, not just as a guide, but but better a better human, yeah. right? And and that is work that's um, really uh, clear. You do and you and you do out loud, and um, you're doing in in kind of a variety of of ways. And you know that I think is the ultimate credential when somebody that you're gonna guide looks at you and sees you doing the work, you know, that you've done it yeah. and you're doing it still, you know, that, that gets somebody's attention. So anyway, um, why don't you give us some final thoughts as we start to wrap up or anything that you want yeah. the audience to hear, yeah. you know, about your work or, or anything in general? Well, first, thank you for letting me tell the story and digging at me like that. I love introspection clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, so thanks for, thanks for having me on. I think as kind of an end cap for where we're at and where we're going, I, I just I want people to know that like regardless of the of the friction or the the way that mind is telling you that something is not possible, um, and it may sound a little cliche, but um, it's 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 what I've been through. Um, that what you what you desire, what you want, is possible, and it's it's really if if you can tune into yourself, and you're and you're willing to like make the make the effort. To the hard effort to go into yourself and reckon with things that maybe you've not or you've been avoiding, that those things become possible. And it's it is it's a it's a mixture of of awareness and it's a mixture of then practical integration per the design project that I mentioned earlier, that you can you can start to see your life transform. And I'm passionate about it now because like we've seen people do it and we've seen people uh, come out the other side and be more present fathers, which is a huge thing for me. Um, to, to be more open with their partner about like how they work together to like build a life together, mm-hmm. um, and and all, and many other things, team strengthen and stuff like that. And I, I, when I see people's eyes glisten about possibility, that's a, that's a game changer for me. Mm-hmm. Right, you you to shock someone out of their own way. Yeah, is really all we're trying to do, and and instill the belief that. Your life can transform if if you want it to. Hmm. So that's that's really like the mission for Alan Key. If anybody's interested, you can visit the website um, alankey.co.co. We're on Instagram. We have a podcast also, which you'll be joining mm-hmm. me shortly on Unlocked. Yeah, um, where we get to talk again with me as your guide, <laughs> um, which will be fun to yeah. tune in and uh, listen to other stories. So Krista and I spend a lot of time reflecting publicly mm-hmm. um, about our journey and other yeah. things that we're talking about, um, which has been cool for people to hear. And we've gotten great feedback about how it's applied to you know their life and where they're at. And it's it's heart space stuff. This is the next twenty. 20 year thing, right? Yeah. We're, we're in it for the long haul and, and dancing with life as, as it shows us. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Thank you again for taking the time. Look forward to uh, joining you on your show and um, thank you for doing the work that you're doing. You know, I, I'm growing more and more of the belief and I don't know if this is, you know, 
glass half full or wishful thinking, but that this is becoming the work of our generation. Um, that uh, unlocking, you know, coaching or, you know, I had Chet Scott, who's my coach. Um, he calls himself um, and his uh, coaches builders. Mm-hmm. You're using the word guide. Um, all of that, I think, is a giant unlock. You know, that again, historically, to help people, you had to go about it in a textbook way. And you had to go through excruciating training, which was expensive and difficult and required certain intellectual capacity, et cetera, et cetera, that didn't value maybe the full, the fullness of, of life and experience and ability to support others. And, and now we've got this kind of field, which is really getting cracked open, which allows people who are very qualified to help other people. And there's just, I mean, even every therapist I know right now is not taking new clients because the demand is outweighing the um, facilitation. So I think, you know, there's the potential and hopefully it's in my lifetime, but certainly generationally to really shift how people are experiencing life and take away some of the suffering and put some more peace and joy and, and, you know, kind of childlike alignment, you know, divine alignment into the world. And I think what you guys are doing is, is a part of that. You know, you guys are really kind and um, sincere and intentional humans that, you know, are in this for the right reasons and doing, you know, really impactful work. And so, um, yeah, thanks for that. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the reflection back. That was super powerful to hear. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, leave us a review and follow me on Instagram at Brett Kaufman on Twitter at bkaufman125 and subscribe to our YouTube channel by searching for The Gravity Podcast with Brett Kaufman. And please send me a DM with any guests or topics that you'd like to hear on future episodes.